Thank you for tuning in. We'll get to your program right after this short word from our sponsor. In your company, a challenge? Are you battling turnover and struggling to draw key talent? Is your team not performing at the level you want? Problems present themselves through conflict, miscommunication, creative differences, unclear expectations, and motivational issues. ARC Integrated is here to address these challenges through executive coaching and customized interactive trainings. Create lasting positive change that will improve your bottom line and create a culture that attracts talent and reduces turnover by going to arcintegrated.com. That's arcintegrated.com. What if investing in each other could change the world? I'm Joel Skeen with bizradio.us, and this is the Mindful Marketplace. Edition of the Mindful Marketplace here on bizradio.us. I have on a fantastic guest who has been really a, um, a long-term social enterprise, uh, social entrepreneur, and sustainability um, business owner. And I'm really excited to get to talk to Eric Henry here in just a little bit. If this is your first time here with us on the Mindful Marketplace, this is the program where we talk to the entrepreneurs, advisors, industry leaders, investors, and economic experts who are not only solving a market problem to make a profit, but they're also solving a social problem to make an impact. It's where we learn how to connect our money and our businesses to our values, our community, and ourselves. So first, before I get into it with Eric here, I am going to hit on the balance sheet, the assets, liabilities, debts, and investments. First, in the assets column, I want to talk about a Forbes article um, that was written titled Worker Ownership and the New Appalachian Economy. We're based here in Western North Carolina, deep in Appalachia, and it was awesome to see this highlighted. In the article, Molly Hemstreet, who's the co-founder of Industrial Commons in North Carolina, discusses the importance of building a resilient economy in Appalachia. Industrial Commons, which was founded by Hemstreet, focuses on incubating and building businesses in heritage industries such as furniture and textiles. They also prioritize circularity, aiming to create a sustainable ecosystem for manufacturing in Southern Appalachia. Hemstreet emphasizes the practicality and innovation of their approach, which involves collaboration and co-opetition. I really like that portmanteau there, co-opetition, to help lift up the entire community. Um, the article also touches on the importance of employee ownership and democratized workplaces in creating retention, resiliency, and profit, something we've talked a lot about. Hemstreet discusses the circular economy and the repurposing of industrial waste, highlighting the significance of returning waste back into the supply chain. She emphasizes the practicality and doability of these approaches, which align with our region's strong sense of grit and hands-on work. Um, it's a great look at the need for innovative models of wealth creation, the importance of employee ownership and democratized workplaces, the practicality of the circular economy and repurposing waste, and the visual impact of revitalizing historical infrastructure. Also, the collaboration and resilient nature of the Appalachian community. So check out that article in Forbes. Uh, in the liabilities column, I am going to talk about um, you know values investors in the stock market um, because we did recently lose a, a legend in that world, Charlie Munger, who was you know the quiet partner, um, quieter partner of Warren Buffett, and he passed away at age 99. But before he died this year, he made a series of warnings about how difficult it is to make real money in today's stock market. In a recent CNBC interview, he was asked if it's harder to make money now, and he said, quote, of course it's harder. It's so much harder, you can't believe it. At this year's Berkshire Hathaway meeting, investors meeting, Munger also stated, quote, 
I think value investors are going to have a harder time now that there's so many of them competing for a diminished bunch of bunch of opportunities. So my advice to values investors is to get used to making less. There is so much money in the hands of so many smart people trying to outsmart uh, each other. It's a radically different world than the world we started in. I suppose it will still have its opportunities, but it will also have some unpleasant episodes. So the main reasons for the difficulty that he sees are, number one, uh, the oversaturation of investment analysis. Number two is the sustained high for longer interest rates on businesses generally that we've talked about. And number three is the institutional filtering of money out of stocks and into the bond market. So Munger admitted in an interview on the Acquired podcast, which was really great, he said there was a lot of low-hanging fruit in the early days of our operation. Now you don't have any low-hanging fruit that's easy to recognize. So rest in peace, Charlie Munger. In the debts column, uh, the, I want to hit some good news in the debts column for once. <laughs> in the debts column, we got the Debt Collective and Morehouse University or College. So Morehouse College recently made a groundbreaking announcement revealing its partnership with the Debt Collective, which is a union of debtors, um, and they are a nonprofit debt relief advocacy group. Um, so they uh, they actually got canceled um, ten million dollars of student loans on over two thousand seven hundred students' accounts. So this is a significant step towards alleviating the financial burden that is on students. The Debt Collective's approach to debt abolition particularly through initiatives like Rolling Jubilee Fund, has been instrumental in addressing America's escalating debt crisis. By purchasing portfolios of people's debt on secondary markets and then canceling them, the fund has been able to provide life-changing relief. The recent debt cancellation at Morehouse College is expected to empower thousands of individuals, particularly Black communities, by enabling them to save for retirement, invest in home ownership, and pursue entrepreneurial endeavors. This move also allows students to continue their education and access transcripts that were previously withheld due to unpaid balances. The partnership between Morehouse College and the Debt Collective underscores the transformative impact of debt relief and, the, and highlights the need for broader systemic changes in higher education finance. Uh, and quick reminder, the Skeen Agency, my financial services agency, we do work on debt elimination plans with folks to help them pay off their debt in seven to 12 years instead of 30 without spending extra money. So if you are in debt, go to mindfulmarketplaceshow.com, click on the eliminate debt tab to get a free report to see how it can help you. In the investments column, lastly, I want to highlight a really cool group um, called Blue Forest who have developed a forest resilience bond. So this forest resilience bond is pioneering an, a unique approach to addressing the funding gap for forest restoration. By leveraging private capital, the Forest um, Resilience Bond aims to support local land management and bridge the gap between investors and environmental interventions. The initiative is particularly significant because it facilitates private investment in land management, but also ensures the preservation of public land and the mitigation of wildfire risk. The Forest Resilience Bond's innovative financial structure and measurement technology are designed to enable private sector investors to fund land management while earning competitive returns, thereby creating scalable investment vehicles to support forest and watershed health. Blue Forest, in collaboration with partner organizations, um, dedicates themselves to providing sustainable financing 
to accelerate forest restoration activities across the western U.S., including California and the Pacific Northwest, which has been ravaged by wildfires. By working closely with forest collaboratives and trusted nonprofits, Blue Forest um, aims to create uh, the necessary conditions for successful restoration activities, fostering community engagement and support along the way. So the FRB's goal includes driving new financial and technological resources to forest collaboratives, creating a highly replicatable financial model to accelerate forest restoration nationwide, restoring watershed and forest health, mitigating wildfire risk and forest ecosystems and uh, to forest ecosystems and surrounding rural communities. This initiative underscores the transformative power of private investment in conservation finance and the critical role it plays in advancing sustainable forest management practices. So check out Blue Forest for some creative, innovative, sustainable, and socially responsible investment opportunities. All right. I'm excited to get into it here with Eric Henry, who is the president of TS Designs. Eric, welcome to the show. Glad to have you on here today. Thank you, Joe. Appreciate the opportunity. Yeah, yeah. So, um, you know, you have been a social entrepreneur and a sustainability entrepreneur for quite some time. How did um how did that all start? Some is luck of life and sometimes what life delivers. Uh, I started my business while I was at NC State in 1978. And at that time, as I think things were a lot simpler. And so I just uh, decided to start selling T-shirts at the uh, college campus because that's where a lot of T-shirts are sold. And so um, uh, shortly after that, I met my business partner, Tom Sineef. That's where TS Designs comes from. And we launched TS Designs, and we became what we call a large contract screen printer here in Burlington, North Carolina. And really what happened on January 1, 1994, is put me on the path that I'm on today and will continue to be on, which is NAFTA, North American Free Trade Agreement. So prior to NAFTA, we built a business here in Burlington uh, servicing the big brands that you know, Tommy, Nike, Gap, Polo, Adidas. 120 people worked in our facility. Uh, we just moved in this new facility. At that time, the business was growing. The bottom line was great. The banks loved us. But when NAFTA was ratified in 1994, January 1st, 1994, within two years, those 120, those 120 people were scaled down to about 12 as those all those brands left. Our business collapsed, and this was a big textile community, and so it was devastating to our business, to our community, but I realized then, as I realize now, there's more to a business than a bottom line, and so we were an early adopter of what we call the triple bottom line, people, planet, profit, so it was the heartbreak of NAFTA and the destruction that destroyed our business that's put me, as I said, the path that we're on today and I think, and now it's we went through COVID and all the other challenges we have in the world. I think we're we're more and more people are coming to realize that the power of business, not only to be profitable, but to also be responsible and accountable for impact to people and planet. Yeah, I love that. I, I remember, um, you know, so I, I moved to Western North Carolina from Michigan. Um, and you know, pretty much, I mean, half the people, you know, when you're in Michigan are in some way connected to the auto industry. And when, you know, when NAFTA happened and all those jobs went out, you just saw incredible decimation. And I think there was definitely a realization among people that 
you know, none of these parties, none of these major, um, you know, these policymakers are really actually looking out for working people one way or the other. And that things there, something has to change, that there has to be some kind of way to do things differently. Um, and so I think it's really cool to see you take that charge and actually make it happen because <laughs> it's easy to talk about it, but it's a whole other thing to, to make it happen. So tell us, so TS design, so you guys still make t-shirts? Uh, what, what else is there? Yes. To no, we're, we're still in the t-shirt business. Uh, but obviously, and I like to say sustainability being a journey, not a destination. And also it mm -hmm. takes a community and glad to be in a community that I like to say with the intersection of agriculture and apparel, i.e. the painting in the wall behind me is the cotton farm we work with about 60 miles from here. So we are focused on domestic apparel manufacturing, highlighting what we can do in North Carolina because we have all the assets here. Uh, and the assets never left. Globalization forced them to go overseas, again, chasing price. And thing I like to say, when you go outside of your market for a product or service, your market delivery, you're cheating the system. So we were just down at this cotton field a couple of weeks ago. And I think of the cotton that's grown in the U.S., only 10% stays here. The rest of it, somewhere between the field and the, the peril that we're today, gets shipped overseas. And so... Um, we were just, you know, that's the journey we've been on, but we're constantly learning. And again, our guiding principles or star, whatever you want to call it, is how do we make a better product uh, that will impact our bottom line, positive, but also make sure people and planet are always represented. It's not always equal. It's not always balanced, but we don't work in a vacuum. Um, and as I said, that's just kind of our, our, our guiding principles is always making sure as we move forward. And today, I like to say we make the highest quality, most sustainable print apparel in the world. And the way I can say that is, again, we're fortunate that the cotton that comes from this uh, painting from behind me, we're able to take that cotton and make a T-shirt in 700 miles. That's impressive in itself because the typical T-shirt is about 20,000 miles you know, because we chase the world for cheap labor. But I think the other big issue that, that, that haunts the apparel industry, and one thing we realized, again, we started working with this farmer back here over 15 years ago. And we went to reach out to Ronnie, now working with his son, Andrew. And I'll never forget when I went down there the first time, guys, probably 17, 18 years ago. And Ronnie said, why the heck you want to buy my cotton? Because you can buy all the T-shirts you want from. At that time, it was a 1-800 number. Now it's online. I realized then as well now is I want to control that supply chain. I want control it. Not, I don't want to grow the cotton. They do a great job cotton. I don't want to grow it. I want to gin it, spin it, knit it, finish, cut it, sew it. Matter of fact, you said earlier, uh, Molly Hemstreet's a very good friend of mine. She does some of our cut and sew of t-shirts. Awesome. Um, but we, we want to facilitate that supply chain. And so fast forward to today and with typically 97, 98% of our clothes made overseas, one of the biggest issues, challenges the industry faces, the apparel industry is, is a lack of transparency. I know we live in a global economy and I know we're not going to put that genie back in the bottle. But what we do, and we used to use a, um, a contrasting color thread in the sleeve, and now we actually use a QR code. When you scan that QR code, it will take you to a website, wearyourclothing.com, W-H-E-R-E, yourclothing.com. And, and you get, I mean, this is a public website. Anybody can go there. And you will actually 
Meet Andrew Burleson. You'll get a picture, a phone number, a physical address, and an email. You can go visit Andrew or Wes or Andy or the whole supply chain without coming to us. Try to do that with any other apparel you got, and you might get, even it's crazy about this industry, you know, on on. It might say made in USA, but that could be imported fabric. It might be domestic fabric. But again, who, I think without transparency, you have lack of trust. And the apparel industry is constantly getting busted about, you know, where it was grown, how it was made, the environmental, the social impact. And again, we're not a perfect company. There's always room for improvement, but there's no secrets. There's no secrets. You're basically, you come to TS Designs, you go to our supply chain, you see everything, know everything. And again, that's the, the biggest thing that I call out to the brands is I'm not saying it's all going to come back to the states. We need to balance the scales a little bit. But you as a consumer that's supporting a brand should have access to that information of where your clothes are manufactured. And you should be able to reach out to that that company in Bangladesh or Vietnam or China or India, and, and there'll be a contact there. But no, that's completely uh, made very opaque. And again, as I said earlier, you know, every couple of months here comes another disaster in the industry and the consumer doesn't know. Have you ever tried to do that? Have you ever tried to find out from a major global supplier those details? Oh, I've, I've asked. We had a couple of years ago, Joe, we had, um, and we're open to anybody. You know, you must come visit. Please come visit us. But we were doing a, a, a tour for a group of students out of Mississippi State University, and they have a textile school. And on that, that tour bus, which I didn't know at the time, were some folks from uh, Gap. And uh, Gap was sponsoring the thing, and they came in, and we were kind of doing a meet and greet. And the folks from Gap whipped out their beautiful sustainability report. I mean, gorgeous pictures, all these graphs and stuff. And I said, that's fantastic. I said, but what I, my call to action for you and for any brand, be it Tommy, Nike, Gap, Paul, whatever, make your supply chain transparent. Trust mm-hmm. your customers enough to give them the keys and say, here you go, Joel. You know, you can you can make that contact. I've never seen a global supply chain that's offered that level of transparency. Now, what they'll do, um, matter of fact, I got a pair of jeans on the day, a, a project we did a couple of years ago with Wrangler, is we did a little... Um, uh, I won't call it niche or something like that, where we put together not only a T-shirt and a pair of jeans connected all the way back to the farmer, um, and they did this whole Rudy collection. But typically what the big brands do, they do this kind of like window dressing marketing spin of, you know, to kind of show their support. But my experience with that, they usually last one or two seasons, they move over, move on to the next little shiny object. Because what's happening, Joel, is since NAFTA, and again, that's 30 plus years ago, the brands are so uh, enamored by the cost differential of apparel manufacturing labor overseas to here. And so most brands, as soon as you say domestic apparel manufacturing, they shut it down. You know, they just, they're, they, the economics don't work and they've built their model so much around that much, much, much less uh, cheaper, I should say, labor costs in these developing countries that they they can't make the numbers work. And that's something we can talk about later in the show, how I think we're working on something that will radically change that. And again, I think the opportunity is looking at the apparel industry not as a bottom line focus, 
but a triple bottom line. Yes, we need the brands to make money, but they cannot continue to make the money on the backs of people or negative impact to the planet, which I think they've mainly been doing the last 30 years. So what, what I do want to get into in part two of this conversation, I think now that I've kind of listened to you talk a bit, is, you know, you have mentioned triple bottom line a couple of times. And, you know, that's like you said, it's profit, but it's also people and it's planet. And I think that a lot of times there's a misconception and there's an assumption out there that I think we should question the, this underlying assumption of what we could call two pocket thinking, which is that with one pocket, I've got to make all the money in the world. And then in the other pocket, I can maybe do a little bit of good with and that business is over here to make money and that nonprofits are over here to do good. And I think what your business and what you are doing is to kind of challenge that basic assumption and say, no, that's not the case. We can actually do business in a way that does good at the same time. Um, and I want to dig into you in part two on things like how that actually affects your the quality of your product, how that affects your customers, how that affects um, your workers, how that affects the supply chain and the larger planet and the ecosystem. Um, but what I would like to spend the last couple minutes here with you on part one here is to just kind of highlight the fact that you were you were named the first apparel B Corp. Um, and could you explain just in a minute or two kind of what a B Corp is and what it's meant to you guys to be the pioneers of that in the apparel industry? Again, it's kind of luck, Joel. Um, reason we way we became a B Corp is we we're in the process of developing a unique uh, print and garment dye process. This was shortly we developed two years after NAFTA because we realized we're not going to be low-cost producers. So how can we bring value to the market through the lens of a triple bottom line? So we developed a process called Rehance. We knew then, as we know now, is that if we do not have some type of certification beyond us telling you that it's green, it's friendly, it's better, blah, 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 you know, and we get into the whole greenwashing thing. So we were working on a certification out of Germany called Okatex. Uh, while we were doing that, I had a couple of consultants in to, come to vet that. As I had uh, two good friends, um, Matt and Scott, that had started a apparel brand on the West Coast called Indigenous Designs. And I met Scott and Matt at a couple of trade shows, and they were they were the initial founders of B Corps or through B Labs. And so uh, they didn't know I was working on this uh, certification. Germany, they reached out and said, "You need to check this thing out." And um, we looked at it, and at that time, I think there might have been 50 companies at the time involved. We came in in year two, and we wanted to look at um, our business vision was based on two things, transparency of our supply chain, and then some type of certification that sits outside of TS Designs that uh, they audit what we do. And we said, wait a minute, this looks like it's an assessment. They're trying to look at all type of industries. So let's kind of hang our hat on that. And uh, we went for it. And I think today, what are we, three or 4,000 globally? Still a small group of people, yep. but bigger brands like Patagonia, Ben & Jerry's Ice Cream is part of that. Uh, yep. But we're, we're a big fan of it because um, you're connected to a, a bigger community that has these triple bottom line values. And then what I also like is they now it's in every three-year assessment, and it's it's a lot of work. This is not a couple of check boxes and mail us a check, and you're in there, man. We actually we last two times, including now, we have to bring in somebody from outside because they do a deep dive into yeah, your I business bet. and really 
try to understand what you know what makes us uniquely different compared to yeah. you know a, a legal firm or something like that. So um, you got great it. community. We do have to uh, um, we, we do have to, to to cut it there for right now. So everyone, please, yeah. obviously, we got a lot more to talk about. Tune into part two of this next week on Biz Radio US. Um, also, check out the other shows on Biz Radio US. There's tons of great other content there. Um, and make sure to follow us on YouTube now, but also Spotify, iTunes, iHeartRadio, uh, Stitcher, um, you know, wherever you get your podcasts. And until next time, take care of yourself and take care of someone else. Thank you for listening. If you liked what you just heard, be sure to subscribe to the podcast and be sure to visit bizradio.us to find hundreds of other engaging conversations, local events, and more.